Hey, I'm Craig Finn. This is my podcast. I call it That's How I Remember It. In each episode, I speak to one artistic guest about the relationship between their memory and creativity and how it affects the stories they tell the world as well as the stories they tell themselves. My guest today is Bill Hader. Bill is an actor, writer, comedian, director, and the creator and star of the television show Barry, which is just beginning its fourth and final season. He was a cast member of Saturday Night Live for eight years, 2005 to 2013, and he produces and acts in the IFC comedy series Documentary Now. You've also seen him in a ton of films like Superbad, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Trainwreck, many more. Bill is also a member of some great musical television moments as part of the bands The Blue Jean Committee, Ian Rubbish and the Bizarros, and Crisis of Conformity. We talked about that and a whole lot more. I was absolutely thrilled to have Bill Hader on the show. So here we go. The history's rewritten When the memories get meddled with The way that I remember it so thanks for joining me, Bill Hader. I want to start this. I start all these podcasts the same way. And I ask, do you consider yourself as someone who has a good memory? I think as I've gotten older, I have I don't have a, a good short-term memory. <laughs> I feel like that's that gets muddled a little bit more. But I have a you know, I can remember, you know, I can remember who directed a some obscure movie, but I can't remember uh, yeah, if I took my medication that morning or something, you know, or, you know, these sorts of things. So, uh, th- yeah, it's a little bit, I have to have more reminders as I get older. That is, that's something like, I think that I'm actually dealing with too. I feel like I've, I've recently understood the, the, uh, need for one of those, you know, days of the week pill thing. I have it. That, I just got, <laughs> I, I've had one now for a while because I would, what should be incredibly simple became difficult, you know, and then you, you realize why people have those because you look in it and go, did I take my medication? Oh, Jesus. Oh, I didn't. It's rattling around in here. Oh, no. You know, so, yeah, you have to, yeah, be on it. But, yeah, I do think I have very good memory for dates, but I have a, I'm one of those people I'm terrible with names. Names go right in and out of my head. Brain. Has that always been the case or is that because uh, for me, when I started touring a lot as a musician, I let go of names somehow. Uh, do you feel like as, as you know, you become more successful, you met more people and maybe, you know, like meeting people quickly. Do you, has that affected it or has that always been the case? Uh, you know, that, that's a good point. I mean, it's funny that I can remember so many people I went to high school with and I can remember their names and I can remember people I went to elementary school with and things like that. But yeah, as I got older and you just, especially once I was on television and things and you just meet more people, you know, you just more and more people kind of come in. And then, um, I don't know if you experienced this, but that awful thing when they, they know you and you don't remember them. (laughs) And, you know, that, that I feel, I always start to feel very guilty about that. And I go, I should remember you. And then I'm, I don't. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, there's the faking through it. You know, like I said, I would meet people on tour, and it's like I'm never. I'm going to Kansas City tomorrow. I'm never going to see you again. And then you have that mindset. And I go to a party with my girlfriend, and she introduced me to someone. I'm standing next to him. I said, I didn't get their name. So how does 
how does the um, your memory? How do you think it shows up in in your storytelling, your writing, on the show, etc.? Well, I think you know, like it was like Kurosawa said, like every the yeah, like the you know the kind of reservoir of creativity is memory. You know, everything comes from memory. You know, whether you realize it or not, whether it's something from your life or something you've watched, or you know, I don't know about you, but I, it, it kind of happens in a way that you don't realize it, you know, you, you kind of watch, you look at the thing or you listen to the thing afterwards and go, oh, wow, you know, that's clearly, in my experience at least, oh, that's very much about, that reminds me of this thing that happened to me or in terms of influence, you know, I remember watching the end of season two of Barry and going, it wasn't until we were on the mixing stage that I went, oh man, I like Taxi Driver. <laughs> this is, this is the end of taxi driver, <laughs> you know, and you don't really realize it while you're doing it sometimes. To me, it, it always kind of comes out in a very um, intuitive way and, and sometimes in kind of a subconscious way. I actually had that, uh, you know, the taxi driver thought as I watched some of Barry over the past few days, there's something about the unrequited when when a character has an unrequited love, there's something <laughs> um, that Taxi Driver comes to mind, and and other films. There's something about a, a psycho, uh, you know, that 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 seems to be a part, a way to play that that makes it scarier. Mm-hmm. Does, yeah. does that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something. Well, the thing, the funny thing about Barry, and I thought the way that you know. I think that performance by De Niro is one of the best things I've ever seen. Um, but, you know, I it, playing Barry was more trying to say, oh, this guy's like a psychopathic killer, but wouldn't it be interesting if, you know, he's kind of a, an awkward guy like me and my friends. Yeah. Know, but he just, the one thing he happened to be good at, you know, it's like your weird friend who just happens to be, really good at video games and you're all sitting around going, geez, look at Jake, you know, (laughs) but his thing was, you know, that he just had a a natural ability to, to, to use guns and to kill people. And, and that, but he, he was, he kind of realized it was hurting him and everything. So there's a way of playing that, that he doesn't realize he's a psycho, but he's a psycho. (laughs) Sure. Sure. You know, one thing in regards to memory, I mean, is there memory involved in doing impersonations? I mean, is it is it is it part of that latching on to what those people do? Yeah, and it's also you it's a weird thing you kind of latch on to. It's a weird specific thing that again, I've talked to like other people who do impressions well and and we'll say like when people are talking to you, you the, the rhythm and the tone of their voice kind of hits you first. And then behind it is what they're saying, the the actual, you know, subject and the, you know, what they're actually telling you. So it's, you're hearing a thing, but you're not really digesting it. So I think that that was sometimes not, especially in high school, wasn't a very good, a keen listener to understanding people or, you know, you're kind of half understanding what someone's saying because you're like, God, you have a thick accent. But it isn't like you're working on it. Like, okay, how do I do that? It just kind of, you just kind of take it. It's what you hear. And so you're, it's just like a sensitivity. 
And so, and then, yeah, when you're doing impressions of people, you just pick up on certain things, you know, that just hit you. And a lot of times when you do an impression, you just try it out for the first time. You know, I've I've done, I've tried out impressions for the first time on like a talk show. Like I've never done it before and I'll just do it, you know? I I saw that, yeah. And sometimes they don't, a lot of times they don't work. (laughs) And sometimes it does work. But it, it is just, there's something about them that, you know, hits you. You don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that I mean, that makes sense. I was reading something about like Chat GPT, and I was saying that what it kind of gives you is something that sounds like an answer. That's kind of what it's programmed to do. And it, it, what, what's it, that? Like Chat GPT, you know, like like a AI, like like oh, the artificial. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. it's it's programmed to give you something that sounds like an answer. So the content maybe isn't the, the most content. Imp- yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, the most important thing. It's the sort of the presentation. Yeah, the presentation of a thing. Yeah, I'm acting like a human. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, yeah, that character, Barry is kind of that way, you know, he's trying to be a human or pretend to be a human or how do people act. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, it is interesting how that works. So I have a lot of musicians on this, but, you know, I, I consider you to be part of three classic bands, the Blue Jean Committee, Ian Rubbish and the Bizarros, <laughs> Crisis of Conformity. So I am going to move into the music. Uh, and I, do you have early memories of music? Oh, yeah. Well, I have, I have a very strange one, um, which I've talked about before, but my dad says, I think my dad hated the Beatles. <laughs> and he really hated uh british invasion stuff he hated pop music he hated the doors um i think he liked the rolling stones a little bit but so he was really into like the albums that he would play in the house really loud were like pink pink floyd and frank zappa and captain beefheart and you know stuff like that yeah he liked like robin trower and were you feeling that? Were you feeling that as a kid? Yeah, I was. I kind of, that was music to me. So it wasn't until I got, and he hated singer-songwriter stuff. So it was between that and kind of 80s, 90s, top 40 music, which is what my mom liked. And so you're kind of getting this weird mishmash. But I didn't really listen to the, the you know, the, the Beatles or anything like that until I was, little, you know, my 20s or uh Bob Dylan. I remember I was a PA on a on a movie and talking to these older guys, and I was and, and saying things like, "Is Bob Dylan good?" <laughs> and they were like, "Yes." <laughs> and here, go. And but they were very sweet. They're like, "You should get this one and this one and this one." And but yeah, I love. I remember yeah, putting apostrophe on. That was the Frank Zappa apostrophe, and listening mm-hmm. to that. So I have very fondness for that music. I do recognize that when I try to ask other people to listen to it, they do not like it. <laughs> I mean, I, I love Beefheart. I have a big hole where Zappa goes. But, you know, you say that, like, yeah. I, I just don't know much of it. There's very specific eras of it. I think that's the hard thing where it's hard to get a hold on him because there's such specific eras of Zappa. And there's, like, for me, the very funny era, which is the early ones. And then when he had that the the band that's like around the early seventies with like Ruth Underwood and and George Duke and everything, some of that music's like really good. 
when I was a kid, and my parents did not have music around like like that, and I, and I didn't have an older brother or sister, so I was kind of looking for scraps, you know? And I heard somewhere that Bob Dylan had really good lyrics. And then I heard that song, that Joe Walsh song, Life's Been Good to Me, you know, my oh, Maserati yeah. goes, <laughs> and I was like, these are really good lyrics. This must be Bob Dylan. Yeah. So I thought for... <laughs> I thought for a few years that was Bob Dylan. I get that. Um, because I couldn't imagine better lyrics than that. Um, I get that. And I, I could totally, I get that for sure. And I bet you Bob Dylan likes that song. Um, I, that I mean, he likes stretch, Jimmy Buffett, but, right? I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. He, likes, he likes that stuff. It, it seems then, like. I think I was, by the time I got to like 13, I wanted to sound. I'm, in, I'm, from, I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and there's a place called Starship Records and Tapes. And I remember going in there, and I had a really cool uncle, my dad's older brother, who uh, told me about the Dead Kennedys, and then so I, or, or you know, told me about punk music. And so then I, I kind of were listening to them and, and Bad Brains and Misfits and 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 starting getting into more punk music, mm-hmm. you know, kind of American, kind of whatever you want to call that, like hardcore. Mm-hmm. Whatever they call it, horror core or whatever. I just always found it really because I loved horror movies and I liked really bad horror movies. So I just remember looking at the back of Misfit CDs and being like, I know all these movies. You know, yeah. all the titles were based on movies I had been watching. So I had a real affinity for that stuff when I was younger. Yeah, there seemed to be some crossover. That's uh, even the Bad Brains had Fearless Vampire Killers, and yeah, exactly. There was a weird thing with the Cramps, and there's a lot of these. Just I, I always found it really fascinating. Fred Armisen and I talk about this a lot. Of what was that? They were all clearly watching late night horror movies. You know, that that was very much a part of their of the aesthetic, even you know, uh, or or something, you know? So I, I, I don't know, because I, I, I like the same kind of thing. I, I kind of gravitated towards that. And, and it wasn't kind of what all, everybody in my school was listening to, which was much more pop-oriented and, or uh, very hippie, kind of new hippie, you know, fish and stuff like that. That's, I mean, that's super interesting. Like, I wonder if sort of being part of being an alternative, you know, uh, underground alternative, what do you want to say, is watching in that era of limited channels, limited offering, you know, I'm thinking of the late 70s, a lot of people had three, four channels on their TV. Yeah. But watching it late at night would maybe be the choice you could make. Yeah. I mean, but even I remember, I remember hearing an interview with Bruce Springsteen where he also talked about like, yeah, you know, Thunder Road is that based on that movie, yeah. the you know late night movie. So you know it's it's all kind of you know up late watching the late night movie, which isn't really a thing anymore. But I really have really great memories of that. I, I find that I will I love this so much that I will go find old intros to late night movie creature features and stuff on YouTube, and I watch them because it is. So nice, you know, but I just missed it when I was really young. I still, there was still kind of the late night, the traditional late night movie thing. And then it kind of, as cable got bigger, it, it became um, a show that Rhonda Shear and Gilbert Godfrey uh, produ- uh, hosted called mm-hmm. USA Up All Night. Yeah. And, and they had really bad, like teen sex comedies and, and horror movies, like really, really usually pretty bad horror movies. And I, I watched all that stuff. 
Yeah. I grew up in Minneapolis and there was a there was a Mel's matinee and there was a guy who would yeah. come on and say, this is the movie we're going to watch today. And then, you know, give you a little intro. And that's something, obviously, that we've lost. Yeah, they think there's one guy in Chicago, the Spengoolie or somebody. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he still does it. But, or if he's still around, I don't know. But, but yeah, I, I love that stuff. Were, the, were those movies, like those horror movies and that kind of thing, was that the first thing, like TV movies, things, things that made you think about being a comedian or an actor? It really felt, made me want to be a director and a writer. I, I got more kind of excited by the stuff I was reading and, and watching, which was predominantly uh, horror and sci-fi stuff when I was, like, you know, middle school into high school. So I liked Stephen King and Ray Bradbury and Richard Matheson and all that stuff, Shirley Jackson, and then, yeah, watching those movies. So I, it was really more about oh, I want to make something like this. And then I started acting mostly because my high school girlfriend was cast. Was You know, it's that thing. My high school girlfriend was auditioning for the school play and I, you know, she drug me along and I went and then we, we both got cast in it. And then I kind of went and did it. And then I, I remember my dad, because I, okay, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I grew up, I, I was very tall for my age and was an okay athlete, but that was like a big deal in, in Tulsa. I mean, like it is everywhere. But so there was this kind of pressure and, and kind of, um, you know, it was just kind of assumed that you were going to be an athlete. And then, but I kind of secretly was loving whatever art. I was like the, co- the, the coffee shop crowd when I got in high school. I was more into like not drinking and partying and like drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes and talking about, you know, whatever it was at the time. Um, uh, yeah, so, you know, talking about, I just discovered this, this the 400 blows or whatever it was. And, uh, but yeah, you know, then, then you would get into acting. I was in a, a play called The Glass Menagerie and I remember my dad came up to me after and said, that, that was amazing, how did you do that, you know? He's like, that was, and I thought he was gonna be kind of annoyed that I wasn't, do, you know, I, I dropped out of basketball to do this. Instead, he was so stoked. It was just like, how did you do that? How do you know all those lines? That was amazing. How did you, you know? And uh, that was still the best review I've ever gotten. I was like, I was walking on air for like a month because you just, it's that feeling you have where you think, oh, I'm good at something. You yeah. know, forever, you, you, you're like, I'm not really, I can't really do this, <laughs> you know? But then you're like, oh, I can, I'm, I'm good. I, I feel like I, I, I might be able to do this. You know, that's exciting. Amazing. Yeah. You know, one question that just came up, but I, I haven't asked anyone this, but and I think I know because I sing a lot of lyrics, but is memorizing lines just a matter of putting the time in? Yeah. Memorizing lines, I don't know how it is for singing, but it is kind of like people do it by rote a lot, you know, or you kind of, I, I remember being, I was a PA on a movie and John Turturro was in the movie He's one of my favorite actors, and I remember just watching John Turturro, and he was just saying the lines to, to himself just constantly. You know, he was just walking around saying the lines out loud. And, I, and, and some people have to do that. And so that, that is helpful, but nothing really beats rehearsal and you're in the rhythm with somebody else. So it's better when it's more like tennis. as You know, it's like a normal kind of analogy but it is just going back and forth with someone else and then that 
that is really what helps is doing the scene. You start to feel the emotions of the scene and they're giving you something and then that will help you a lot of times remember your lines or, you know, what you're supposed to do. But but monologues have always been very hard I've, hard for me and I'm always amazed, you know, on Barry, Stephen Root and uh, Sarah Goldberg in particular are so good at monologues. And I, I've always... If you watch, Barry does not have a lot of monologues. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, for for singing, it's 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 like it's muscle memory, really. It, it, yeah, because you know, it, it takes over, and the, the the trouble starts when you start to think about it. You know, right? For me, as an outsider watching musicians, I'm always like, how are you playing and singing at the same time? I don't know how you're able to do both things. <laughs> I find that, I remember being in you know those bands with Fred, and I'm you know, rudimentary playing bass. He has to show me what to do and then I can, then can do it. But then, then there's been times where I've had to pretend to be singing and even pretend to be singing. If I'm, I can't, I can't do both things. I'm just, I'm like, I, I just go, what's the shot? So I can just stop playing for a second and just sing the song. And then when I come back up, you'll, it'll look like my hands are in the right place. Cause I, I really do get in my head about it. And if you watch, we did a test pattern episode. It was like a talking head spinoff and I sing a song and I'm not playing in it. I, I, I have my bass, but I'm like singing into the microphone. I mean, I don't know I, how you do that. It's like anything, right? I mean, it's like, it's, you, you get, you get, it gets easier, but. But is it all one thing kind of? It's just, you don't see it as two different things. It's like one thing. I think it's one thing, like like eventually it becomes that. But I think it's just about putting the hours in, like everything else, right? I mean, it's, yeah. And, and, and the and and as I said, if you you got to get to that point where you're turning it off, because if if I do say, "Am I playing this chord right?" Trouble, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. Then, well, that's the worst is when you step out of it for a second, which I've done before, and it is, yeah. When you have that, it's death, or you know, something goes wrong in the middle of a, a scene or you, you, you know, that's why I understand when, pe- you know, people gave Christian Bale so much shit when he flipped out on the set of that Terminator movie. But I can, I can kind of understand that when you're really concentrating and in your eye line, you're supposed to be a character, you're supposed to be someplace else. And in your eye line, you're seeing someone adjusting lights. I've never flipped out like that, <laughs> but you do say, Hey, can we stop moving, please? <laughs> Like, this takes a lot of concentration, you know. So. Yeah. And, and this is sort of related. First of all, congrats on, on season four, Barry. And uh, this, is, uh, this is, I think, the most character you've, that you most, you've ever lived in one character for, for that long. And thinking through the lens of memory, does playing a character for this many years, four years, uh, four seasons, create its own memory within the character? I mean, you're building out the world backstory through the writing, but is there something that kind of happens or you're building on when you get in that character? Yeah, I mean, the character, it's all kind of through the writing, you know, it's, it's all one thing. You know, you write it and the writing tells you in my, in my, for me, and how to play it and how to direct it, because I wrote it. Right. And so by doing that, you're kind of understanding the character. You, you do remember certain things, but again, for me, it's all kind of instinctual. It's kind of something feels right and something feels wrong, but I've never been able to kind of intellectualize what that is. You just kind of know, I think right now, he's feeling this and it'll be this. And then you write a certain thing and then you're on set 
and you're in a moment, there's a moment in the new season. I'm, I'm talking to somebody in prison on the phones and they say something that makes me mad and I start smashing the phone down really hard and I throw it and I get mad. That kind of happened in the moment. Initially, he just, as written, he just gets mad at the guy but has the phone up. But So you have to have room to kind of do things like that. And then, you know, you say cut and you go to the production designer and you say, hey, I think I might have just broke the phone. <laughs> you know, and he's like, yeah, I saw that. Um, so, but you have to have the, that room to kind of, you know, be the person, you know, but it doesn't, it's nothing without the script and everything has to be really solid and you have to be, the, the, the emotions and everything have to be really aligned in order for something in, intuitive to come out, you know. I had the author, George Saunders, on the show a couple of months best. ago. And one thing we talked about was retaining a memory of, of struggling before his success. And, you know, how, how he, um, and he, st- he said he still tapped into that. And part of Barry exists, you know, the character struggling in Hollywood or on the fringes. L.A. seems to have its own kind of particular sense of loneliness. And is that part, like the early part of your career, something that you still find easy to tap into or remember when you're writing? Or is, that, or is, or is like it always still in view just no matter where you are in the industry? Are you seeing people yeah. struggle? That- yeah, and I, I remember, you know, I was a, like I said, I was a production assistant. And that very much is very much a, a huge part of that, um, you know, I just remember being a production assistant and you would work on certain movies and you would work you know, sometimes 20 plus hour days and you would go and sleep in your car. I remember I worked on one movie where we shut down half of Hollywood Boulevard to make it look like it was in the 50s. And I worked a, a 23 hour day. And part of my job was to get the tired crew hotel rooms at the Roosevelt Hotel and I got them all their rooms, but I didn't have one for myself. So then I had to, like, you know, sleep in my car because I, I couldn't drive. I was, like, delirious. And I just remember, you know, there was that. And I was on another movie called The Scorpion King where I fell asleep in a car on the side of a highway. And I just was like, I can't, yeah, I can't, I just can't do this anymore. But then when I had my own show, I remember just thinking, well, one, I work pretty fast. I just, that's the way my brain works. I work pretty fast, but I don't like when filmmakers or the production was really unprepared and and, um, it really drove me crazy because it affects everybody. And when you had a director or a star that was screaming and, and insecure and it was all about their ego, it made everyone else's life miserable. So I just remember when Barry happened and, and documentary now too, a bit as well, you, you always wanted to be, it was hyper mindful of that, of, of, you know, these are people that yes, they're being paid, but they're helping me with my idea, you know? So I need to, mm-hmm. um, you know, I really, I respect their time, you know, <laughs> and I respect giving them the amount <laughs> of information that they need so they can do their job. I, I, I see that as a massive responsibility as a as someone running anything, you know, but especially running a show because yeah. the hours that they keep are, are are crazy, especially doing all nighters and stuff. Like that's not that's not good for your brain or your body. So that is definitely something when I think of struggling. That that's where my head goes is just the the pragmatic 
just thing with with yeah. shooting. It was awful. Did you ever have to be the person who stops like people from walking? Like, oh yeah, it was awful. I got yeah, people would. But I didn't get attacked. I, was, I remember watching my my friend Jason Altieri, who now he's the first AD on uh, Yellowstone. But we were PAs together, and I remember we were shooting something in downtown LA, and I think he got attacked by a homeless guy, or something happened where we all had to run over, and you know, uh, it, you know, it, it, it was awful. Yeah, I, I mean, they they have a very tough job, and it's a very thankless job. But I knew I was sitting there going, "Oh my gosh, I watch movies, and now I'm on a set of a movie. I'm watching one being made, and that." was so exciting. And I, I still have that. We have a scene in the season of Barry that we needed a, sh- a snow machine for, and I just thought it was so interesting. The scene got cut, but it was still really interesting. <laughs> you know? Hey, this is Craig Finn, host of That's How I Remember It, which is supported by DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. Over a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, TikTok, etc. All the major streaming services. Use the app to upload new releases, edit account details and metadata, get notified when you've earned royalties, and see your stats. And you'll get 30% off your first year's membership by visiting distrokid.com slash craigfan. So hey, get your music out there and do it easily. Thank you, DistroKid, for supporting That's How I Remember It. Do you know the um, the Cassavetes film opening night? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's a great. I'm, movie. I'm obsessed with that movie. The Hold Steady even has a song about it. But um, it's obvious this this thing's done in other films. But there's a sense of confusion in that film about um, like whether the scene's a performance or rehearsal or kind of real life. And I, th- I I sometimes get that with Barry, especially around the, with the scenes with Gene Cousineau and the acting class. But also there seems to be a sense that like the characters are acting in the sense they're a lot of them are pretending to be something they're not. And LA, like New York is somewhere we, yeah, people tend to kind of try to reinvent themselves sometimes. And I wondered if this was like a grand statement intentional from the beginning or was the acting class just sort of a funny juxtaposition for a hitman? Yeah, it was kind of a, like a way of, of what's therapy for for this guy? What's a funny version of therapy? I remember Alec Berg. I mean, the the way we came up with it was sitting there at a diner and, and saying, well, what if it was a hitman? And he went, ugh, I don't like hitmen. It's so dumb. And I said, well, what if it was me? And he went, oh, that's kind of funny. And I go, yeah, it's not like, you know, the cool guy with the black tie and the 245s in his hand. It's 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 me is, is almost like a truck driver or something. And he was, oh, yeah, that's interesting. And I was like, yeah, you'd watch him in his town. He's hanging out, you know, maybe he, like, he's hanging out in a small town. The, the initial idea was, like, oh, he's in a small town and he likes the town and he's supposed to kill someone there, but he likes it. But it was, like, a small Midwestern town. And I was like, yeah, and they have, like, an acting class there. And then he, and Alec said, oh, Hitman taking an acting class is good. <laughs> you know, just kind of, just factual. Yeah. Like, that's a TV show. And I went, oh, yeah. And and then we both kind of, when you started talking it out, was like, oh. And I don't know if how it is with music, if you have this. But when you know something, I don't know if you have a moment where you're like, oh, this is a song. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It was, this was us was, oh, this is a show. It just, the acorn, <laughs> it just kept growing. <laughs> 
the, the seed just kept growing and growing more things. And I don't know if it's the same thing with songs where you, you plan a thing and it goes sideways and it kind of just then dies and you go, okay, this is a song. <laughs> well, you build it, you start, you start building on a shaky foundation and it goes like that, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you go, what's wrong with this? Oh, <laughs> The, the the foundation sucks. <laughs> this was never a song or this was never a story, yeah. you know? And that happens a lot with... Uh, and, and then within the show, you go through that... De- you, you go through that experience over and over and over again. Like, this is a scene. And then you go, why isn't this scene working? Oh, it, it, it should never have been a scene in the first <laughs> place. <laughs> it was, it was, you know, because it doesn't work. But that was the moment for us where we went... Oh yeah, this is a good idea for for him. And then, and then acting class. Then it, we moved it to LA. It just immediately just yeah, acting class was just very funny. But I don't think we ever had the the depth of something like opening night. You know. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I mean, uh, Barry's obviously pretending to not, or you know, keeping one part of his life a secret. Sally's kind of outrunning maybe a sort of white bread. Some you know some other thing that you know uh well she's turning it into her art as well but um but gene cousineau is he pretending to be anything or is that just it well season four i think you know the thing he does at the end of season three is that he's a selfish uh narcissistic guy and at the end of season three he does something redeeming you know he does something selfless and so i think that was always you know he kind of is like, um, and then at the, at the top of season four, he's very much getting accolades for being a different kind of guy. He's a hero. You know? He's a hero in season four. He's a hero. Four. So, yeah, it's, it's oh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> you just try to see if that works or not. There, there's this great. There, if, that's, if that's him or not, you know. I mean, well, that's the thing. I wondered if, you know, is, is that, is, is Gene what honesty looks like most of the time, you know? Um, that's how I, I sort of took it. But there's a quote, there's a couple quotes from, from the first episode of season four that struck me. And um, one is when Barry said, if I hadn't tried to understand myself, we wouldn't be here. And um, yeah, that's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. What, what, you know, can you talk about that in context of the show overall? Yeah, <laughs> I, it's really heartbreaking, but funny that by a guy, by the, by somebody, uh, you know, trying to understand themselves, meaning like better themselves or or at least inspect the thing that is making them unhappy in their life, he inadvertently set off a chain of reactions that destroyed many lives. And, and if, and if I had just let it go and just stayed the status quo, we would, we would all be happy. And that I think is something that, you know, the writer's room and it's something we would talk about where, you know, I don't know if you've experienced where people then go into therapy and then suddenly their relationship with their parents falls apart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or the relationship they're in dies and, you know, they become... Uh, I, I have a, a friend who was telling me how, you know, they're older, they have an older sibling that left their family and is now partying and has looks like a roadie and, you know, does all these things because they inspected themselves, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I always found that really 
human and tragic, but also really funny. Yeah, I mean, the rock and roll version of that, a lot of the times is someone quitting drinking or drugs. And that, you know, that's like the House of Cards was kind of built on that. Yeah. Yeah, and touring and everything, or that awful feeling of stand-up comedians. I know some stand-ups that used to have that. I don't know if they're that way as, as much anymore, but at least some stand-ups where it's like, oh, like if I stop, I'm really funny when I'm drunk, you know? I'm really creative. You know, it goes the Hemingway bullshit, you know? It's like, I'm so great when I'm drunk, you know, because I let go of all this stuff. And, um, and yeah, I bettered myself, and now I'm my work sucks or, or the band fell apart. <laughs> you know? I, I've seen what I've write, like the notes I write when I've been drunk and they're terrible. Like I know, but, but uh, yeah. I, for a long time, I really did think I was getting my best stuff when I was hung over. And I think there's yeah. a dark comedy to your brain when, when uh, during, in a hangover. Yeah. Hangover to me is also because I have really, you know, just pretty well chronicled. I have very bad anxiety and like my anxiety, I stopped drinking and I was never a big drinker to begin with, but there was a period last year where I was drinking more than I usually would, I think just because of stress, you know, and being overwhelmed and all these things. And um, the hangover rebound anxiety was unlivable, you know, just sweating, shaking, you know, the whole thing. But you did come up with some interesting <laughs> shit. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. And and there's, I think, you know? I think there's a really self-depreciating thing I get into when I'm hungover. Like, you know, I, 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 yeah. I did it to myself. Here we are. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think ultimately I don't think, I think the, the, where my brain goes is I go, that's really interesting. I came up with this when I was in this kind of weird rebound anxiety state but then at the same time you know i i bet i can come up with good stuff having just drank drank some water on a good night's sleep i mean that <laughs> yeah. was i i think i can was, still do for it for me it was a process like i had to i i have gotten i became that person but i was like here we go let's see if we can do it you know yeah yeah it's, it's but it's terrifying it's a little stepping over the edge a bit and is the work i became very um you know when i the thing I would always, I usually write very early in the morning. Mm-hmm. Me too. Like five in the morning, five thirty in the morning, because oh, you're, you're kind of half asleep and your subconscious is still there, and, you're, and I'm less um, critical. And there's an episode this season, episode five of the season, which is pretty much written in one sitting at you know at like five in the morning until like ten. You know, it was just like one straight thing. And it all was just like, I don't know, <laughs> this feels right, you know. And it, it, but that's very rare for me. But there is something very nice about that that kind of gives you the, that freedom. And then it is nice to then look back at it and go, well, maybe move this here, move this here. But the episodes of Barry that are the most kind of the less narrative propulsion, hyper you know, I'm thinking of that episode in episode five of season four or in episode two, we had the Ronnie Lilly episode with the karate girl and everything. Like those were two that I wrote very early in the morning and kind of just was like, I don't know, let's see where, you know, the outline just said it's a hit that goes wrong and this, this, and this need to happen. In episode five, it was like, here's what's happening. Here are the big story points we need to hit. How we get there, I don't know. And then you just try it. 
And those are two where it, it kind of worked, in my opinion, for me. But then there's a lot of times it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, yeah. you got to go back and and work on it. Gee, I mean, I, 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 that's one part of my process is just filling up the page or writing, writing the bad song first, yeah. you know, yeah. like, and then, and then moving things around to try to make it better. And I think for me, it's the first part is always filling up the page. Yeah. That, Do you find that very cathartic though? Is it nice? Is it sometimes is it just the act of doing it help? Yeah, and it's it you know like you said about um some of the stuff with Barry like it reveals itself to you, you know? Like especially when I write a bunch of songs and then it's time to kind of decide what makes the album. Yeah. You're like, "Oh, I was really writing about being, you know, a certain way a lot." Yeah, I, I didn't mean, even think about again, it. Again, there's this episode 5 and it really is um a lot of it is about the last couple of years, you know. Mm-hmm. And you you go oh wow this is really me writing about this other stuff you know or I remember during season three Sam Rockwell sent me a nice text and he was like I feel like this season is kind of about the pandemic <laughs> and I was like yeah yeah I mean it was written during the pandemic so I'm like, yeah it's in there someplace you know yeah. Yeah, I mean, it all. I, it's it's in all of our stuff. Well, this is actually a great place to end. I have one more question, and it's about this. These these things take a long to come, time to come together. I just put out an album, but I realized I sat down and wrote some of those songs in the first month of the pandemic, and it's like you know. And then now for for music, vinyl pressing time is like nine months now, so everything's stretched out. So you know, and a, a TV has to be more from writing to production, and now in promotion. Is parting put us putting out anything on a decent scale, having to reach back and talk about things that you did like a year or two ago? And is there frustration in that, or does it interfere with like what you're doing now creatively and art- artistically? Yeah, some. No, I mean it's interesting to see where you're at, you know. And then you, and it's it's like you know even just the whole experience of making this show, like the person I was when I started writing the pilot to the person I am now is very different. I feel like I'm much more self aware. Um, than I used to be, and uh, and I'm still every day. You're just learning more about yourself, and then it's. It, but I used to kind of have this feeling of like, well, that's me. Um, <laughs> and now I think it's like, oh, I think I can. You know, you 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 can. You know, the the whole point of the show is like, can you change your nature? And I feel like through. You know, you know, whatever it is, therapy, meditation, having like friends you can talk to, writing, everything. You you can start to curb these things. It just takes a lot of, you know, effort, you know, and then and not getting discouraged when you fall back and then you, you can come forward. So I think I think when I, I I think about when I look at the way even it was at the beginning of season four and who is now, it's like, Oh, a little less afraid, you know, a little less freaked out, you know, that's good. You know, maybe if I started writing these now, it wouldn't be as, uh, <laughs> dark, you know, I'm not feeling <laughs> as, you know, but, but, but then sometimes, you know, it, you sit down to write a nice thing and then it comes out fucked up and then you go oh, I'm going to write a horror thing and it comes out really a sweet comedy you have no idea you know so it, I almost it, feel like 
I almost feel like my stuff is is uh, opposite to how I feel at the time. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I I do. I, if I'm really happy, weirdly, the stuff comes out dark. And then when I'm going, you know, through the pandemic, I wrote a movie that was, you know, my friends read it and they're like, this is really sweet. It's actually a very <laughs> sweet story, Bill. <laughs> you know? I wonder if it's trying to manifest what you want your life to yeah. like or something. Or you just, you have so much, neg- you're trying to balance a thing. It's like the cut, the, you're, you're filled with negatives. So you're trying to output positive to kind of balance yourself out or something. Or yeah, or it's wish fulfillment. You're right. You know, or yeah. You know. Trying to come up with that right symmetry. Anyways, thank you so much for taking the time. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for having me. This is a big, um, yeah, being cool, but it's a big thrill, man. But thanks. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I, my pleasure, my pleasure. All right. It was very much my pleasure to speak to Bill Hader here, and I really enjoyed it. I hope you did too. Early on in our conversation, Bill mentioned a Kurosawa quote about memory and creativity. So I tried to find the quote. Here's what I found. Memory is the source of your creation. You can't create something from nothing. You can't create unless you have something inside yourself. That sounds right to me, and it seems to jive with a lot of what we talk about here on this podcast. A massive thanks to Bill Hader for coming on to discussing all of this. He was so cool. Uh, Check out this season of Barry, the fourth and final season. It's really a great show. And thanks to you for listening. I really appreciate it. We've had such great feedback, and this is really fun for me. So thank you. We've got more great guests coming up. Please listen and subscribe to That's How I Remember It. Stay positive.